Let's pray as we prepare to hear the word today. Oh Lord, we ask that you would open us in body and mind and spirit to the word that is about to be read, that we might hear you speak to us, and that we might leave from this place transformed by the power of your word that has made the world and that can remake our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be reading from the Word of God, the fourth chapter of Ephesians, verses 25 through 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God from whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, and along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jimmy. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it's you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When 25-year-old Craig Reynolds woke up on Thursday, he was unemployed. Before he went to bed on Friday night, he was on the front page of ESPN for scoring a touchdown for the Detroit Lions in their preseason loss to the Buffalo Bills. He was so new to the team on Friday night that when he found himself in the huddle for the first time, he was introducing himself to other players. Hi, I'm Craig. It's not quite as dramatic as I've made it sound for this guy to score his first NFL touchdown after being unemployed. He's been playing football for a long time. He's been on several teams on the practice squad, and then he gets cut and he finds his way to another squad. It's not even obvious that he'll be on the, uh, on the Bills or on the, on the Lions when Monday comes around and they have their first line of cuts. But it's a radical transformation, right? He wakes up on Thursday without a job, and by Friday night he's on the front page of the biggest news website in the world. Unemployed to scoring a touchdown in the NFL. And Paul expects an even more radical transformation than this in the lives of Christians. In our, in our text this week, he starts to list out his expectations of this with a great deal of specificity. Paul doesn't just want unemployed people to become more successful. What Craig Reynolds has accomplished is wonderful. But Paul says that the gospel is even more. You see, Craig started unemployed, not a thief, and he found success, but 
not in a way that really benefited anyone but him and his team. Sure, thieves should stop stealing. They should start working. But towards what end should thieves work, really? Why? Why should thieves begin to produce something with their hands rather than taking something that they didn't make, that they have no right to, and using it for themselves? They should begin to make something so they can give it away. We talked several weeks ago about how God can do more than we can ask for or imagine. God doesn't just give us a job when we need one. He takes us, we who were sinners, and He turns us into saints. He takes people who used to take what wasn't theirs and use it for their own ends, and He turns them into people who work for what would be rightfully theirs so that they can give it away. This is just one of the commands that Paul gives as he closes out chapter 4 here. He says we should put away falsehood. We should no longer tell lies or half-truths. He's already framed this for us, right? As He says that we should speak the truth in love. Here he says things that are untrue should not come out of the lips of Christians or off of their fingers on social media. We should be really sure that what we share is true. And if we're wrong, we should correct it. And he goes on and he says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He, he doesn't set the bar to an inhuman area, right? Jesus Himself gets angry from time to time. We see Him flip over tables in the temple. He says, not that you can't get angry, that you should not let your anger last. It should not become something that controls you or becomes a part of who you are. As, as He goes on, He, he says, he talks about the thieves becoming, becoming uh, philanthropists, right? That, that's the easiest way to describe it. Those of you who are thieves, you should become generous philanthropists. And then he, he goes through this list of things. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you are marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is what should mark the body of Christ. Kindness rather than bitterness Bitterness is what happens when wrath makes it to the next day, right? Or when anger makes it to the next day. And as bitterness festers and grows, it becomes wrath. And as wrath becomes long-standing anger, we start to have contention with one another. We start to wrestle and wrangle with one another. That turns into slander, speaking ill of one another. And then that turns into malice where we just can't stand one another. In this season of the pandemic, it's been easy to be angry. There's been a lot to be angry about. And it's been hard to let that anger go as you go to bed at night and not pick it back up 
as you start back the next day. And I don't think anyone who's spent any time on social media or even conversations around town is blind to the ways that that bitterness has turned to wrath, has turned to anger, has turned to malice after it's turned to wrangling, right? And as Christians, this shouldn't be what we're known for. As Christians, this should not be our witness to the world. And all of this is rooted in one really basic truth. It is easy to destroy. It is easy to tear things down. It is easy to vandalize. These things are easy. They don't require a great deal of skill to tear things up. It doesn't take a whole lot of skill to critique other people as they try to do constructive things. But it is really hard to build something. It is easy to get angry and to wrestle with one another and to tell lies about one another, to speak evil of one another. All of that is easy, especially when we have our tribe that affirms us for it. But to do what Paul is asking us to do, to orient all of our gifts for the good of the community, to let everything that we do be about building up the community of faith and beyond that, testifying to the world about what God is doing in our midst. That's really hard. It's really, really hard to build something. You don't have to look very very far for examples of this. We, we see it playing out in Afghanistan right now, right? It, it, was, it was not easy, but it was, it was realistic for the United States to enter in and to stop the expansion of the Taliban. It was not easy to construct something that would persevere beyond it. And as you watch the Taliban take over, you'll find that they have trouble constructing something good for their people too. It's easy to tear things down. It's really hard to build up things that are good for everyone. So Paul gives us these very specific commands. He's moved a long way from where we were a few chapters ago as he's talking about what it means for us to be given new birth and to to be uh, made whole and new in Christ, to be made as those who belong. All of these abstract things are taking on very specific constructions now for how we live together. And if you pay attention to the way that they work, each time, put away falsehood and become a teller of the truth. Stop being angry and become kind. It's not just that you move back to neutral that Paul is looking for. He wants you to move on to where your life looks like the love of God. John Wesley doesn't cite this text as he lays out his general rules for Methodism, but I think you'll find that they fit very well with this trajectory that Paul is laying out in specific ways. John Wesley gives three rules to Methodists that they should live by. The first one is do no harm. Do no harm. Stop causing harm to one another. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't take things that don't belong to you. Don't cause strife in the midst of other people. 
Don't do all of the things that the Ten Commandments tell you not to do, right? Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't covet. Don't do harm. That's the first one. And then the second one is to go a step past neutral. First, don't do anything bad. Now, do good. In whatever ways you can find to love your neighbor, with whatever gifts that you have, whether it's your finances, whether it's your smile, whether it's your kindness, whether it's your skills, in whatever ways you can find, do good unto your neighbor. Make your neighbor's life, your community's life, better than it would be if you were not there. So first, don't make things worse. Next, make things better. In whatever ways you can, make them better. And then finally, the last one. And one of our bishops wrote a book called Three Simple Rules, and the first two he used exactly as John Wesley said them, do no harm and do good. But the last one, in Wesley's terms, is attend upon all the ordinances of God. Move on towards perfection. Pay attention to the Lord and the things of the Lord until you are doing all of them well. This was the expectation. First, stop causing harm. Second, start benefiting other people, living and acting in love in every way that you can. And finally, don't slack up in any way. Pay attention to all of the commands God has given to you and live into them as best you can, including confessing your sin and receiving forgiveness from God when you fail to do that. What's beautiful about what Paul says here is that it's not some kind of abstract moralism. It's not just do the right thing for no good reason. Just because you're supposed to do it, you should do these things. All of it is rooted in the work of Christ that is active in your life. He makes it clear in these, in these last verses. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is where it all boils down back to the Gospel for us. If God has forgiven us, each one of us, if God has forgiven me for the things that I have done that are wrong, that have hurt other people, that have neglected the good that I could have done, if God has forgiven me for that, who am I to continue to hold against someone else the things they have done against me or other people? I might get angry for a moment, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let that begin to control you in a way that leads to bitterness and wrangling and malice towards one another. So I ask you today, is this what your life looks like? Does your life look like one of a truth teller? One who primarily tells the truth related to Jesus above all else? Or are you so busy communicating about other things that may be true or may not or may be important or may not, that your witness to who Christ is is lost? I wonder if you are so busy 
taking and gathering up from yourselves, whether you've earned it rightly or whether you're taking it from someone who rightly deserves it, you've forgotten what it looks like to be generous and to live your life in service to others. To have something to share with those who need it. Is that what's driving you to work so hard? So that you can share? Or is it so that you can have it for yourself and a little bit more comfort? And I wonder if what comes out of your mouths is useful for building up other people. Are your words seasoned with grace for those who hear them? Or maybe in contrast, your life does not reflect the seal that has been put on you by the Holy Spirit. Paul talked at the very beginning about how the church has been marked by the Spirit so the rest of the world can see Christ at work in us. And yet as all of these other things bubble up, I wonder if what people see when they look at your life when they look at your interactions with your family, when they look at your interactions with people that you work with, when they look at your interactions online, if they see kindness and tenderheartedness and eagerness to forgive. Because if not, if not, you might need to go back to Jesus again and ask Him to forgive you and to give you a sense of the weight of what He has forgiven you so that you can live in a forgiving, kind spirit to others. This is the call. Not just to not be bad. Not just to be a little bit good. But to lean in in every way possible to testify to the work of God in you. It is really easy to tear others down. It's really easy to sit back and critique folks who are trying to do good. But Paul's call is to get in the game and to find a way to build something, whether it's the body of Christ or something with your hands, and to use your words and your actions and your very spirit that other people might thrive. May it be so of the church as we abide in the life that God has given to us. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we confess to You that we have not always avoided what is wrong. We confess that we've not always been eager to do that which is right. We confess that often we are far more ready to use our words to tear others down than we are to build them up. And we pray, Lord, you would soften our hard hearts. You would strengthen our weak spirits. You would forgive us of our shortcomings, our failures, and our sin against one another and against You so that our lives might be pleasing to You. So that we can love our neighbors as You've loved us. Forgiving them and drawing them towards the life that we have found in You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.